At breakfast, I was asked a question by one of the leaders who said, hey, we were having a discussion and the word resilience had come up and we were trying to define resilience. And so I want to start by defining resilience and then we're going to look at the passage here in just a moment. But the best way I could think to describe resilience is to quote Jesus. Jesus talks about in the greatest sermon ever preached, he's preaching the sermon, it's called the Sermon on the Mount, and he concludes it by talking about resilience. So a quick definition for resilience for you. Resilience is the ability to withstand opposition or trial, to stand firm even when challenges come your way. Jesus says it this way. He says, those who hear my words, hear my teaching, listen to my teaching, and put them into practice are like those who build their house on a rock, so a firm foundation. He says, those who hear my words and don't put them into practice, it's like somebody who just builds house, their house directly on sand. And what happens when opposition or when storms come, the house that's built on the rock is going gonna, is gonna to stand firm. The house that's built on sand is going to collapse. So which one of those homes has resilience? The one on the rock, right? Because it stands firm when there's opposition. So there was this movie that came out. Years and years ago, you probably haven't seen it. It was called Twister. And it was about tornadoes. And these people chasing down tornadoes. And what happens, there's this scene where this couple, they've been chasing these tornadoes because they want to get all these measurements. And the tornado's coming and there's nothing they can do to get out of its way. And so they go into this room and there's these pipes that like go way down into the ground. So they're solid, deep into the ground. And they just basically tie themselves to it. And the twister comes and it's all tearing up everything all around them. It's kind of unrealistic, but it's cool to watch. And they're like floating in the air, but they're tied down hard enough that eventually... The storm passes and they're there. Everything else has been flattened, leveled, but they anchored themselves to something solid. What we see from Daniel and what we're going to talk about today, the reason he has resilience is even when he's afraid, even when there's opposition, he anchors himself to something solid and that's his faith in God. There are lots of things in life that you and I can anchor ourselves to. We can anchor ourselves to our own ability. We can anchor ourselves to maybe a title that we've given ourselves or a status or I make this much money or I have this job or I'm really good at this sport or I'm this, you know, I'm mom and dad's favorite of the kids. How many of you, your mom or dad's favorite? Yeah, you know who you are. Okay. And you're like, I'm, I'm just going to anchor to that. Here's the problem. Those things can change. And those things over time, you can face opposition. Those things don't always last for forever. But listen, God and his promises do. And so the point of this week when we talk about how do we follow God in a culture that's increasingly hostile towards Jesus' followers, what we want to do is we want to anchor ourselves to the one who never changes. And the way we do that is what Jesus said. It's by listening to his teachings and putting them into practice. Today, I want to talk about fear this morning. Raise your hand if you've ever been afraid. Okay. Yeah, that is a, that is a common thing. Uh, who wants a little science lesson? I know school hasn't started yet, but we're going to do a little science lesson. This is a skull of a human. Not a real one. I bought it on Amazon. Aw, that would be so weird if I had a real skull here. Okay. And inside this skull is a replica 
of a human brain. Once again, not a real brain. And buried deep down at the base of your brain is a thing called an amygdala. Everybody say amygdala. You guys learned something in chapel today. Way to go. So that amygdala, it's this tiny, tiny little part of the brain, but it actually has a lot of control. Do you know why? It responds to fear. So I was going for a hike, and I was hiking with my buddy. This is in Arizona, and I'm deep in conversation with him. He's on this side. I'm on this side. And as we're talking, I hear this weird sound, like a I'm kind of deaf, so I can't tell where it's coming from. And in my mind, I think, that's a strange eagle sound. So I look up, and there's no eagle. But I can hear, even louder, and my friend is gone, because he ran away. And from a far distance, once he was plenty safe, he yells the word, snake. So I look down and right by my ankle is this exact snake. Without thinking, I jump away from the snake. My adrenaline is pumping. I am running away and I am pulling out my phone. And then I took a picture, which is what you see right here. No joke, that's a problem with guys. Sometimes we do dumb stuff like that. Uh, and I got this picture, but he was ready and he just stayed frozen. And my foot was right here. He could have bit me. And we were way out in the, call it the woods, in the desert. It would have been a tough day for me. But that little tiny thing in my brain, that amygdala, the second it realized what was happening, without me thinking, it moved my body out of the situation. That's what the brain does. That's what the amygdala does. That's what fear does, is you don't even have to think about it. You just automatically, you touch a stove, what do you do? You don't have to think, huh, that smells like my fingers are burning. Let me confirm. Yes, they are. No, automatically, your brain just says, nope, we're getting away from here. If ever you've had, anybody have any rational fear? Like, like there's just... How many of you, let's just, let's just do a quick survey. How many are afraid of spiders? You see a spider, you freak out. Okay. Who here, who here is not afraid of spiders? Not, okay. All you, all you arachnophobia people, look around. These are the people you need to kill spiders if you find them, okay? Luckily, I'm not afraid of spiders. My wife is terrified, and that's why we make a great couple. Okay, how many are afraid of clowns? Oh, yeah. Clowns, okay. How many are afraid of heights? Heights, ooh, okay. Who knows, who knows what the number one fear is? When surveys are done, the biggest fear that people have, who knows? Public speaking, come up here. How's it going? What's your name? Nani. Nani. Everybody say hi, Nani. Hi. Okay, Nani, tell me what you see right now. Um, a lot of people in front of me. A lot of people in front of you. What are they doing? Uh, sitting. 
and observe. Uh, uh, I see my uh, one of my friends waving, and then yeah. Uh-huh. And then, uh huh. What about this side of the room? What are they doing? Well, now they're waving. Now they're waving. They were, but they were sitting and just being quiet, staring at me. They were sitting and being quiet and staring at you. Okay. Yes. I'm gonna to explain to you guys the science behind why public speaking is people's number one fear. Second is death. Yes. So people are more afraid of public speaking than they are of death, and here's why. It's what Nani just observed. When you look out and you see all of these eyes on you, this little part of your brain called the amygdala jumps in, and you know what your little amygdala thinks is happening? You're about to die because all of these people are looking at you. I took a public speaking class, so I'm cool. But Nani took a public speaking class, so she's cool. Hey, give it up for Nani. You can grab a seat. <laughs> you got to be careful when you raise your hand in here. Okay. So what she just observed, the reason why it's so fearful, our brains look and go, okay, I'm all alone here. Everybody's looking at me. We were made for relationships. We are made to be social beings. God created us to be in community. And so when you're up front and you see all the eyes on you, your brain is telling your body, you need to run away or you need to fight. Two responses that we have when we're afraid, fight or flee. Bug. fight or flee. So fight would be, I get real intense and I just start yelling a whole lot and I get all this adrenaline going and then all of a sudden I'm yelling and I'm going and you guys are like, what is happening right now? That's just my body going, I think I need to fight my way out of this and all I can do is just scream a bunch or flee. If I can just somehow make myself smaller and like hide behind this podium, I wish it was bigger or just run off stage. That's what our brain tells us to do. Now, the reason I say all of this is when we are out in the world saying, you know what, I wanna be anchored to Jesus, I wanna follow Jesus, there will be times it feels like all eyes are looking at you. And everybody's going, why are you doing that? And that part of your brain is gonna go, I need to either fight or I need to flee. And we're gonna learn from Daniel, there's a third option. And it's not to fight. So he's in this culture. Remember, he's been taken from his homeland. He's in exile. He's been brought to this foreign land. He's away from his friends. He's away from his family. Now his hometown has been destroyed. The temple of God has been desecrated. Things were taken out of that. They were put in the temple of a false god in Babylon. He's forced to study for three years. This foreign language, the occult, witchcraft, things that, that he's learned. No, these are evil things, and he's forced to study them. And then they change his name. And they change his name from Daniel. And do you guys know what they change his name to? Let's read. Daniel chapter 1, starting in verse 3. Who said sword? Just, there it is. Okay. Starting in verse 3, it's here on the screen if you don't have a Bible. If you do have a Bible, you can bookmark Daniel because we're going to be coming back to Daniel regularly. Also, 1 Peter. We're kind of going to go back and forth. 1 Peter's in the New Testament. Daniel 1, verse 3. Then the king ordered 
Ashpenaz, Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Now, what I love is Daniel's writing this, and listen to how he describes himself. As Daniel writes, young men without any physical defect. Now, Daniel's older while he writes this, but he's thinking back to the glory days. Handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians. That's the witchcraft, the occult, the idolatry. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were chosen to enter the king's service. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belteshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach. To Mishael, Meshach. And to Azariah, Abednego. So they take their Hebrew names, which all have significant meaning. They all have something to do with their relationship with God. And they say, we're removing those names. That's no longer your identity. And we're giving you new names, Babylonian names. Daniel means God is my judge. Belteshazzar means prince of this false god that they served. Essentially, it's prince of Satan is what his name means. So they change his name from God is my judge to prince of Satan. They've robbed him of identity. They've forced him into this new culture. They are in exile. But then it says in verse 8, but Daniel resolved not to defile himself. Not to defile himself. You can call me whatever you want to call me. You can use whatever names you're going to give me, but I'm not going to defile myself. He figures out where he's going to draw the line in this pagan culture. So I talked about fear. There's a couple different kinds of fear. One, there's debilitating fear. That's when we get so scared that we freeze up or whatever. But then there's also facilitating fear or anxiety. When you see a snake, you jump out of the way. That's actually a good thing. You don't want to hang out next to the rattlesnake. But what can happen, you can get stuck in that default of it. You don't want to get stuck in that. That's, that's where you're just constantly stuck in an anxious state. You don't want that either. But the kind of fear that's a healthy fear is a fear that I would put in this category of respect. So the Bible actually teaches that we're to fear God, not like be afraid of him like a rattlesnake, but to respect him. So picture, imagine with me for just a moment, say while we were standing here, all of a sudden, this chapel just opened up right in the middle like this. And then the sky opened up. And then angels started coming down, massive angels, terrifying. And they're all saying, fear not, because that's what happens every time an angel shows up in the Bible. And there's just multitudes of angels and multitudes of angels. And then a light so bright, we can't even look at it. And then we just sense the presence of God showing up, humbling himself to show up in a form. We could even see him showing up in the person of Jesus. And he comes walking into the front. We wouldn't be like, yo, hey, what's up, Jesus? hey, buddy, dab me up. Like, we wouldn't do that, right? There would be an overwhelming awe and respect. This is the God who spoke the universe into existence, who has all power and all authority. So that 
God, when he enters in, if he were to do this, this is all hypothetical, you and I would be so humbled in that moment and probably even terrified, but Jesus in his grace would say, be not afraid, it's me, Jesus. But I promise you, we would have awe and respect for him. So imagine he walks up and then he taps you on the shoulder and he says, I'm going to send you into a hostile culture. And he tells you, don't be afraid because I'm going to be with you. You're going to face all kinds of opposition, but don't give in to it. Trust me each step of the way. It'll be difficult, but what you're going to do is you're going to take the ways of my kingdom and you're going to live them out in a hostile culture. And over time, it's going to begin to transform that culture. That's what God is doing with Daniel. God is saying, Daniel, I am sending you into a hostile culture. And it's going to be terrifying. But know that even though Nebuchadnezzar seems scary and powerful and all of that, Jesus is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is the one who spoke the universe into existence. And he says, I am with you. I am trustworthy. You can cling to me and you will be resilient because I will not move. You will not be shaken if you cling to me. Cling to anything else and that might get shaken. You might not stay resilient. But if you cling to me, Daniel, you're going to be just fine in this culture and I'm going to use you to help transform it. This is what resilience is. But notice there is a healthy fear of God in that. There is a due respect for God that makes us go, yeah, you know what? Even if people have eyes on me, I have so much respect healthy fear for God more than I have fear over people. God's the one who created all the people. God's the one who ultimately will judge all people. I don't have to worry about them. I need to worry about my relationship with God and I need to follow him and do what, do what he says. So Daniel resolved not to defile himself. Now I wanna, I wanna go on a little tangent here for just a second. Part of Daniel resolving means he had already made up, he had pre-decided what he would do and what he would not do. He would, we'll find out later, he would study all of these things about Babylon. He would study all the things about dark arts and all of that, but he wouldn't practice them. He just knew about them. He knew the information. He understood the culture. He understood the language. We're going to find out better than even the sorcerers and magicians of, of Babylon. But he wasn't going to practice it because he knew that was detestable to God. He knew that was evil. So he draws a line there. He's not going to fight over the, okay, you're calling me prince of Satan and you're giving my friends all different names and all of that. He's not going to fight that. He's going, you do whatever you want to do, but I'm not going to defile my, myself. He predecides what lines he won't cross. The reason this is important for us, culture will try to get you to cross different lines. Culture will try to push you when it comes to things like your own physical purity and how you interact with the opposite sex. You live in a culture that says, hey, it's okay to do whatever you want. And here's what I'm going to tell you is it's important to draw the line ahead of time, to pre-decide, to resolve that, no, I'm going to trust God in this area of my life. Culture is going to push you to go, you know what? You should be more concerned about being cool and what people think about you than being real about what God is doing in your life. And you need to pre-decide, no, 
I'm going to be bold about what God has done in my life and not afraid to share that I'm a follower of Jesus. And here's why you need to pre-decide. Because when temptation happens, if you wait to decide, when temptation, you're in the middle of it, you might not make the right choice because of this thing right here has not finished cooking yet for you. There's this part here called the prefrontal cortex. Everybody say prefrontal cortex. You guys don't have one yet. It's developing. This is the part that actually judges, okay, if I do this, here's the outcome. And this doesn't finish developing until you're like in your early 20s. Which is why sometimes junior hires do things and leaders go, what are they thinking? They can't. They can't. It's because of this. It's not their fault. This part's not done developing yet. Okay? So you want to pre-decide pre-decide what am I going to draw the line on? Where am I going to say, you know what, that's not honoring to God. I am choosing not to defile myself and pre-decide that before the temptation shows up. Nod your head yes, if that makes sense. And if you're like, I don't know where I need to pre-decide some things, talk to your leader about that. There's strength that comes from resolving ahead of time. Daniel is choosing what he's going to cling to, the ways of God. It says, but Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he, what's this word? What is this word? He asked. He didn't demand. He didn't get in their face and yell at them. Notice how polite Daniel is. He's strong, but he's not a jerk. This is really, really important. Because sometimes we think, hey, if I'm going to be strong in my faith, I need to be a jerk to people. That's not the way of Jesus. That's not what Jesus taught. That's not what Jesus modeled. In fact, that'll lose influence in culture, not gain influence in culture. Daniel asked the official for permission not to defile himself in this way. So he's strong, he's resolved, but he's not arrogant and he's not demeaning. He's kind, he's smart, he's strategic. Now, God caused, remember, who's in control this whole time? Jesus, Jesus, God, both acceptable answers. We would also have taken Holy Spirit. God is in control in this moment. God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my Lord, the king, who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. So this guy's afraid. He's going, hey, when Nebuchadnezzar sees you've been eating just veggies and they see how scrawny you are, uh, they're going to kill me because I'm the one that was supposed to be feeding you. Listen to Daniel's response. Listen to the wisdom. Listen to the kindness in his response, the reasonableness in his response. Daniel then said to the guard, whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, What does he say? Say that next word out loud. Say that. It's the magic word. Say it out loud. One more time, real loud. He said, please. He used the magic word. Good job, Daniel. One application that we can learn is to use the word please and thank you and show kindness. That's a reflection of God's grace. He says, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink, then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food, and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. 
At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. So now everybody's a vegetarian. Thanks, Daniel. To these four young men, what are these next words? God gave. Who's in control? Who's in control? God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So these are like the valedictorians of this pagan school. They studied, they understood So they entered into the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them, listen, 10 times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. That these guys were smarter than his smartest guys that he had for a long time. That they were smarter than even the teachers were. And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. So what do we learn? Daniel didn't resolve to trust God because Daniel was so great and knew he was so talented. Daniel resolved to trust God because he knew that God was so great. He had faith in God because he knew that God was faithful, that God was trustworthy. I want to demonstrate something for you. Everybody stand up right where you're at. Stand up. Wow, it's taken some of you a long time. Need to get one of those rollers for your back. Do some stretches. Okay, sit down. Sit down. What? Okay, good. It worked. Okay, let's try this one more time. Everybody stand up. And I'm going to ask you to do this quickly. Sit down. One last time really fast. Stand up. Sit down. Okay. That... That was amazing. You guys put incredible faith in these chairs. Did you see how much you put your faith in these chairs? You guys went down hard, falling down onto those chairs. Were any of you afraid when you sat down? Why? Because you have faith in chairs. Why do you have faith in the chairs? Because you're sitting in them, because you've sat in them before, because you, you've sat in many chairs like this. Now imagine for a sec, so, so for the most part, 100% of the time, when you sit down in the chair, the chair holds you. What if you lived in a world where 50% of the time, the chair just crumbled? How would you guys have been sitting down if I said stand up? Sit down, half the room, boom, just crushed, just crumbled onto the ground. And then I say, stand up, sit down. You would have been like, ooh, I hope it's not me this time. And you would have real slowly sat down. And then if I say, okay, do it one, one more time real fast. You guys wouldn't have done it fast. And most of the room would have been on the ground. If that's how chairs actually worked, one, there would be no more chair companies because we just would stop buying chairs. But for the most part, these chairs are trustworthy. And you know that from past experience. Here's my point. Daniel looked back on the history of generation after generation after generation of God always keeping his promises, God always being faithful. Something that God cannot do is lie. 
When God says he's going to do something, he does it. When God makes a promise, he keeps it 100% of the time. And so Daniel's going, I trust him. He is faithful, so I will put my faith in him. That's why I'm not afraid of these people. That's why I choose to respect and to fear God. Because 100% of the time when I sit in the chair, the chair holds me up. Nod your head yes if this makes sense. So looking back on God's faithfulness is why he had such high respect, healthy fear for God. His resilience came from his high regard for God. When culture is hostile towards God and towards followers of him, we don't need to fight it. Daniel doesn't go in and just start a fight. He also doesn't flee it. What Daniel does is he engages with it. He learns it, thinks like a missionary. Let me understand the culture that I'm in. Let me pray for wisdom from God and begin to discern, God, how do I apply your teaching in this culture, in this context? And Daniel does that, and that's what's going to transform this nation. With wisdom from God, Daniel knew what to engage and how to engage it. Here's a word from the New Testament from 1 Peter. And this is what we're going to close on. He writes, who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Don't be afraid of people, he says. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. What does that mean? That means fear of God in a healthy way, respect for the Lord, that he is king of kings, he is Lord of lords. I am setting apart. He is the leader of my life. He is the Lord. I am trusting in him. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. So when somebody says, why do you believe in Jesus? Peter's saying, don't run away from that. But also, don't be a jerk. Don't fight them. You don't want to fight. You don't want to flee. Here's what you want to do. You want to engage. You want to be prepared. You want to be prepared to give an answer. This is why I put my trust in Jesus. I went to camp. Hume SoCal, God got a hold of my life and transformed my life, and I experienced God in new ways, and I built friendships with other people who are on this journey, and I'm forever changed, and, and be ready to give that answer. Or, hey, I was, I was reading, and I just felt like God's word came alive, and I understood it in new ways, and I'm putting my trust in him, and I look at the world and all these other options, and I just don't think that they work, and I think that Jesus is the only way. Be prepared to give an answer. But then he says, but do this with gentleness and respect. Remember, you, not to be a jerk. When I was in high school, I was a jerk to people. I was a follower of Jesus, but what I thought my job was to do was to argue everybody else into heaven. And so we had these things called chat rooms back then where you would dial up over a phone line and it would take forever and make these weird noises. And then there were these different chat rooms and one was an atheist chat room. And so I would log into it and I would start off by saying, I'm a Christian. It's all atheists talking to other atheists. And I would just jump in there and I would start a fight. And they'd be like, well, you're dumb. And I'd be like, well, you're dumb because this evidence. And then I would start going and I'd be typing and they would all be attacking me at the same time. And I was like, I'm being persecuted for the Lord. And I thought I was doing good things. And then I would get done after like an hour or two of that and I would log out and I would go back and I would do it the next day. Do you know how many lives I changed by arguing with people? You guys already know the answer. We do this with gentleness and respect. We don't go pick fights. We also don't flee. We, we're ready to give the answer for the hope that we have. Keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. So how do we do this today? You set apart Christ as Lord. You go, I am pre-deciding 
Jesus is Lord. I'm following him. He is king of kings. And he's tapped you on the shoulder and he said, hey, take the ways of my kingdom and take them into a hostile culture. And it might be scary, but know that I'm with you. And it might be difficult, but know that I'll help you through it. And by bringing the ways of the kingdom into this culture, the culture will begin to transform. But you're going to have to trust me. And when things get difficult, to be resilient, you're going to have to cling to me and pre-decide. Set your hearts on Christ and go, okay, we're doing this together. Let the king lead you. Jesus teaches us things like praying for our enemies, blessing those who persecute us. These are the ways of Jesus. We learn that from his word. In Romans, it says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. Don't fall into the mold of the world. Don't let it shape you. Don't let it push you around. But be transformed. Here's how you do it. You ready? By the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. We renew our mind by by reading truth, by discussing truth. When we're in groups, when we're in church, and we open up God's word, that truth begins to transform our minds by being at camp this week and being open to what God has to say through his word in the life of Daniel and in all of our, our small group times and church time, we're allowing God to renew our minds and in that comes transformation, the kind of transformation that when we engage culture, it'll change Babylon, it'll change Persia, it'll change Rome. We see it throughout history. We don't need to be afraid of people. We choose to put our fear, healthy fear, in God and do what he says. Does this make sense? Give me a thumbs up. Let me pray for us. Father, I confess that there are many times I'm afraid to do what I know you want me to do. But I pray that I wouldn't be driven by fear. I pray that fear wouldn't have control over my words and actions. I pray that I would be driven by faith. Just as Daniel, his guiding compass was not fear of what everybody else thought of him. It was faith in what he knew you could do. God, would you help us to have the faith of Daniel? To help us to have a healthy fear or respect for you. King of kings, Lord of lords. God, we know that the story ends with you winning. That you've made that promise. You've kept every promise up to this point and you will keep that promise. And so God, we want to be on your team. We want to be a part of what you're doing in this world. And so we cling to you. Be our anchor. Be our rock that we build our house. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Can you guys give it up for Robert? Amazing. Yes, that was so, so good. I love what he said. When we're talking about this idea of being a resilient follower of Jesus, this morning we were focusing in on the fact that a resilient follower of Jesus fears God and doesn't fear man, like he said. And fearing God means loving God, respecting God, devoting your entire life to following him. And in what ways do you fear God and love him? And in what ways do you fear man? And follow what people say you should do. And so this morning, you guys are going to have the opportunity to go into a time called cabin discussions. And every morning, we're going to do that together where you'll gather with your cabin leaders and your cabin groups. And you guys will discuss the messages that you hear each morning. So I I want you guys to be um, prompted by these questions. In what ways do you fear God? In what ways do you follow God? And in what ways do do you just follow the crowd and follow what the crowd's saying? And so this morning, we want you guys to ask those questions. And then Right after cabin discussions, you guys are going to come back here at 11 o'clock for Rec Chapel. And so for Rec Chapel, I want to make sure we're wearing closed-toed shoes as well as our rec tees. Do you guys feel ready for the day? It's going to be a good day. 
So right now, I want you guys to find your counselors and then head out to morning cabin discussions. Love you guys. See you back here at 11. Yeah.